Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Welcome to this episode of The Everyday Millionaire. My name is Patrick Francie, and today my guest is Alan Kahn. It's often said that the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions you ask. And I can personally attest to the fact that with uncanny precision, Alan has a gift for asking the questions that really get to the heart and the answers in his client's search for direction in life and business matters that matter to them. Today, I get to ask the questions. And before we get started, I want to give you a little bit of a background on Alan. Over the past 40 years, Alan Kahn's gained international experience as a manager, an entrepreneur, a trainer, an executive coach, and far more than even all of that. His track record for being a catalyst in driving success for his clients is extensive, and the level of support and coaching he provides them is really as diverse and random as his list of clients. So whether personally, professionally, individually, or even in a team environment, he's really known for driving breakthrough results in the people and the teams who are equally committed to elevating their game. He has a unique talent for facilitating what we'd call disruptive context-shifting interactions, and that's really what helps him deliver on his commitments to optimizing a leader's or a team's performance and for having them realize the professional fulfillment and success that they seek. And beyond all of that, he brings with it a ton of laughter and a lot of joy to the process. I invite you now to join me as Alan and I are going to do our best to discuss a myriad of topics and to work to discover as many rabbit holes to venture down as we can. So, Alan, I want to welcome you to the Everyday Millionaire podcast. I have to say that I'm I'm a bit excited about getting you on the show. I've seen you in the calendar, knew you were coming up. A little bit of background quickly, Alan, is that uh, you and I have worked together, you as a coach, and we're going to get into that a little bit more. And so for that reason, that's one of the reasons I've been very excited. So once again, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Patrick. It's great to be talking to you. I've seen it this in my calendar for the last two weeks, and I've been looking forward to it as well. I, you know, it's interesting. Speaking of calendars, you're a busy man. You got a lot going on. We both do. So it's uh, between your time and my time and getting this nailed down. It's taken a little while, but it's been great. And I'm just happy to be here. So I just want to great. start by saying that. Thank so, you. so Alan, let's kick into gear here, buddy. 
where I like to start with this is that, you know, you've been on this earth a while. Uh, you're like me, yep. you, you're gray around the edges and uh, you've done a lot of things in your life and you've accomplished a lot of things. And as well as I've gotten to know you over the past couple of years, if I was to ask you, what's your elevator pitch? If somebody walked up to you today and said, what does Alan Kahn do? Or what is what the heck do you do, buddy? Because you got a lot on your plate. You're doing some really cool things. And so give me your elevator pitch. I thought I would distinguish it by saying I'm, a, I'm an SQD. And Alan, what is an SQD? Yeah, it's a status quo <laughs> disruptor. It's a status quo. So I'm quo. a status quo disruptor and... And an evolutionary accelerator. A status quo disruptor. And and evolutionary accelerator. An evolutionary accelerator. Okay, so you got to give me a little bit more depth on that. So I work with individuals, teams, organizations, and NGOs, and large international corporations to help them realize their vision, period. In my view of life, there's what's predictable, which is more of the same and incremental improvements. And then there's what's possible, which is really the sky's the limit. So I work with people who know that there's more that's possible than just incremental improvements, either for their own life or for their businesses. And I help them realize and fulfill their vision. So I want to come back to that because that's like, sure. wow, that's a great conversation. And uh, you and I have different versions of that conversation. But I want to go back because yeah. you always weren't there. That's an evolution of where you've come to and who you've become as a coach and a leader. Yeah. Um, so let's go back, you know, a whole bunch of years. Because sure. when you started this work, take me back to a time, I mean, you, you've got your degree, you've got a degree in uh, it was a Bachelor of Science. Yeah, from MIT in uh, literature. Literature. So take me back to where you kind of began. And and I'm not talking as a child. I, I want to know what it was when you came out of university and what were your goals, your dreams, your aspirations? That's great. It, well, it actually began right back before I got out of university. So I was a sophomore and it was the 60s. And I was... Uh, involved in protesting the war in Vietnam and um, thought I would play some role in bringing about a more just society. And I was at 19. And given what was going on in the late 60s in the United States, you know, my, my journey began with experimenting with uh, things that altered my state of consciousness. And the things that altered your state of consciousness, what you, I noticed about them is you always came back down to the same state of consciousness and things were not that changed. So I began by being interested in things that are more associated with uh, Eastern traditions and meditation and spiritual practices. But at the age of 19, Patrick, I remember having a conversation with myself. And I said, what my life is going to be for is somehow impacting the quality of life for others. So at first I thought I was become a teacher. And then I realized how few teachers had actually made a difference in my life. And I thought the education system 
didn't really allow for that sort of difference to be made. And I wound up starting a vegetarian restaurant with a bunch of other folks because I thought, well, maybe if we could get people to eat the right food, that would impact the quality of life. But after running the restaurant for a few years, noticed that, you know, people can act like jerks no matter what they eat. So that wasn't the answer. And then I went to live in a Zen monastery and I thought I was going to become a monk. I left the monastery only because while I was there, I had the distinct realization that Americans weren't all going to become Zen Buddhists. So if I wanted to make a difference, I had to find something that would work for the average American. And I didn't see them shaving their heads and and, and meditating cross-legged. And eventually, Patrick, where I spent 32 years of my life is working for an organization that when I first started working for it was called AST and then became Werner Earhart Associates and is now known as Landmark Worldwide. And I worked there 32 years. So I was a senior manager there. I was on the research development and design team. And I was a program leader and led this program called the Landmark Forum, which allows people to break the grip that the past has on their behavior and create new ways of being and acting. Did that for 32 years. Wow. I want to go back a little bit, you know, just before we jump, I mean, 32 years with Landmark, doing that kind of work, the evolution of Landmark, EST, what it was called. Was that, was EST, E-S-T, as in, uh, was that an acronym for something? Well, you know, there's uh, some mystique around the EST organization and the man who uh, started it, Werner Earhart. Uh, EST was all done with lowercase, and it's the Latin verb to be. Oh. However, when he, the way the story goes, when he went to register the corporation in California, they said, you can't have a foreign word in the title of American corporation. So he said, okay, we'll call it Earhart Seminar Trainings. So the answer is, is it an acronym? Yes and no. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting. Of course, landmark work is, it's big. It's I've, uh, you know, I got to tell you, I just, one of my staff out of my Edmonton business has just finished a weekend. They're one of the weekends that Landmark does. Oh, the, the forum. The yep. forum, yeah. And he, yep. you know, he's a young 26-year-old guy, and he's just fired up. It, it, it was very impactful. Of course, he's coming off the high of the weekend. but And he's built that way, but he's really embracing the work. And what I heard from him after the weekend was pretty profound for him, and, and I'm excited for him. I think he's going to be a better part of our team in Edmonton uh, because of that work. So I'm excited for it. I want to go back a little bit. I mean, first off, at 19 years old, to have that kind of awareness is pretty rare. You know, for somebody to be at 19 years old, examining their life and realizing that part of their calling or part of what their purpose in life is to make a difference in other in others' lives, that's interesting. That's, I would say, not common. Correct. And so does that come from your upbringing with your dad, your mom, your parents? Was that part of the the environment that you lived in as a young guy growing up? Because let's face it, that's pretty profound. I mean, when you're talking about changing the world at 19 years old or having an impact on the world, because you weren't just looking at it as, 
you know, a little thing, it was a big thing. I mean, you're talking about Americans shaving their heads and not being Zen-like or, or you, you wanted to have that big of an impact. And at 19 years old, that's an interesting thought to be having. So where do you think that came from? Where it came from is um, the honest answer is I don't know. I learned at an early age, it's much better to uh, acknowledge others for my success than to uh, take credit for it because it just kind of gives you a bigger ego, which gets in the way of making any real difference on the planet. Uh, So I'm going to say it did come from my parents and uh, it came from my parents and my sisters. I'm the youngest of three. Both of my parents had a very uh, ethical approach to life and were always interested in doing the right thing. One of my sisters became a therapist. The other became a teacher. So something happened in our upbringing where none of us were focused on getting ahead and the rat race. And all three children were focused on looking out into the community and how could we contribute in some way. And from there, it was just one step in front of the other and finding what was going to be the vehicle that would allow me to make the fullest contribution that there was to make. Well, 32 years in Landmark, that represents thousands of people. Yes. And perhaps tens of thousands when you really think about it. And if you exponentially said, well, what effect did you have on one person and the effect that that had on their families and all those people. It gets, it's pretty profound, isn't it? It's an interesting thought after 32 years. And you did that for a long time and you made a lot of differences. Is there any, is there any stories along the way that really stand out for you where you went, wow, it it was one of those moments where, you know, it might've even brought you to your knees in terms of just how humbled you were or what a profound effect you may have had on somebody's life. Was there anything that stands out for you in that time, Alan? You know, uh, Patrick, there's hundreds of things that stand out. And one of the opportunities of leading the forum and leading the other programs that I led there was weekend in and weekend out to be in the presence of human beings who are struggling with things which to them seemed uh, insurmountable and to have them get a new relationship with it and some new power. I was leading a forum in Sacramento, and there was a a man in it who had been involved in the Army in the first uh, Gulf War and had PTSD and literally watched him over the course of the three days come to terms with what he had done and come to terms with himself, where if you saw his face at the end of the forum, you would have never thought this is a man who had been involved and watched five of his buddies get blown up uh, and thought it was his fault. You could literally see him have the past behind him with a bright future in front of him. But like I say, that's one of thousands. And if you ever went in to lead one of those programs, without being open to being moved by other people, you didn't deserve to be leading the program, you know, because people are amazing and we all are capable of uh, stepping 
beyond where we wound up. And it takes courage. Look at yourself and see what you've done to yourself and to others, and then to go beyond that rather than to point the finger and blame society, your family, your boss for where you wound up. So um, truly, almost every time I got to lead was an opportunity to be moved and brought to my knees. When you consider that, you know, where you are today in terms of supporting people in their success and the work that you did over 32 years, there's probably not much that you haven't seen in terms of people getting in their own way of their own success. Okay, so along the way you were at Landmark, let me just back up a little bit. Aside from whatever, yeah, I don't want to say what's the reason you left Landmark. It's not really about that. There was obviously a time where you said, I want to move on in my life. And 32 years later, you left an organization that you were a part of. And was that a time where you went into private or yeah, private practice, if you will? Is that the right term that I would use? Yeah, I, you know, Magic, that was a real turning point when I thought I was going to work at Landmark until I stopped working. And at age 64, when it became leaving Landmark was the best thing for me <laughs> and right. the best thing for Landmark. It was for a while there, I was adrift. I was still working there, but I knew I was leaving, but it was like, well, what's next? It was challenging. And I was talking with a friend of mine. He says, well, why don't you consider it that you're about to start the third act? He said, why don't you come up with a theme for your third act before you write it, come up with a theme. So the theme that I came up with for my third act is all people living lives of possibility and all conflicts resolved through communication. And I had no idea how I was going to fulfill that and express that. So I left Landmark and decided to go inward. I did a 10-day silent Vipassana meditation retreat. I figured after talking for 32 years, it would be a good idea to move the pendulum at least a little bit towards <laughs> the talking. silent side. Stop of the talking, sure. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But served as a very, very good reset. And all I knew, Patrick, is I was going to stay true to the theme called people live lives of possibility and conflicts get resolved through communication. And slowly, people started approaching me and said, would I coach them? And then I started looking to see if there were other people who were doing the sort of coaching and consulting that I was doing so I could align myself with them because nobody's going to impact if you got a big project, you're not going to do it on your own. So I started seeking out like-minded people who could either share with me their journey or we could actually work together. And my practice now, I mean, I call it very creatively, Alan Kahn Consulting. <laughs> nicely but, done, you know, nicely done. Love that creativity. <laughs> yeah, I, I hired a you know, big, uh, big marketing <laughs> yeah, firm yeah. to come up with the name. <laughs> and uh, it was amazing how they came up with it, Alan Kahn Consulting. But you know, now as business has continued to expand over the last two and a half years, I have a couple of associates who we work together on these projects that are larger than just a one-person project. So I guess you could call it private practice, yes. You could call it that. 
So you're building a team, you're supporting others. So you, you go into the world, you take 32 years of background of hearing these stories and, and talking to just a wide range of people and a, you know, a broad scope of individuals who have achieved different things in their lives or going through different things in their lives. And you sit here today at 64 years old. Well, now 67. Yeah. 67. Yes. Yeah, sorry. You take off at 64. You're now 67. Yeah. When we talk about, you know, what I'm finding more and more as I talk to people on this particular podcast, given the theme of the podcast, so you've achieved the results that you've achieved. When you, why haven't you retired? This is a random question. Why haven't you stopped? You're 67. Aren't you supposed to be like hitting the beach? You know, I, I, when I left Landmark and everybody said, oh, you're retiring. I said, no, I'm not retiring. I'm refiring. And uh, refiring. <laughs> refiring. Yeah. yeah. Reloading and refiring. And, you know, it's actually, uh, Patrick, for me, if I live true to my calling, my purpose, I'll be doing some form of contributing until I take my last breath. You know, I have this image of the nurse coming into the hospital room and putting the things in and me looking and seeing that looks like she's troubled and me see, coaching her. And then we go flatline. <laughs> so I want <laughs> you know, to go out in style, Patrick. And I don't see myself working at the same pace that I'm currently working at. I'm looking forward to my wife retiring. <laughs> and I'm looking, you'd like her to slow down. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, so she can spend more time looking after you, no exactly, doubt. You know, wipe the drool <laughs> from my face. No, so I'm looking to her re retiring so that we can do some traveling. Right now we're doing a, a, a trip a year, uh, but I can see when, once she's not working, we may expand that. We may travel a little bit more. We really enjoy visiting and immersing ourselves in different cultures. And the sort of business that I have I can put it on hold for two weeks and the clients are here waiting for me when I get back. But my wife is a professor at a university and so she needs a little bit more freedom for us to travel more. And I'm sure that'll happen. So in your work that you're doing, because you work with some pretty, I mean, you, you've worked and you continue to work and you have in the past and certainly over the past few years, you've worked with some pretty successful guys. Yes. And they they've made a lot of money. They've achieved a great deal of success. So why are they hiring you as a coach? What is it about the work that you do that somebody that is worth really literally tens of millions or possibly hundreds of millions or more? Why are they looking for a coach, my friend? That's so good. You know, we, we handle that on, in the first session, Patrick, you know, the, my father, may he rest in peace, a uh, great man, but he had a theory, a, a saying. He said, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. <laughs> and the only people who need a coach or want a coach are people who are playing a high performance game and they want to improve their performance. Now, performance could be other things besides how much money they have. It could be how much satisfaction they're getting from life. It could be how well they're getting along with their spouse. It could be whether or not they're making the sort, whether their workplace is the sort of workplace 
that they'd like it to be. One one company I worked with two years ago, the general manager he said, listen, we're being profitable. We're one of the most profitable divisions, but I want to make this place a place where everybody who works here is proud that they work here. And that wasn't the way it was when we started. So in my view and in many people's views, there's no top to the mountain for what's possible and why people hire a coach or a consultant or get an advisor is because they want to benefit from someone else's experience and wisdom so that they can explore those areas in their own life or in their own business that they know there's room for for growth. I've, you know, I as you know, I mean, I've there I have I've had coach, I think a coach of some sort, uh, you know, most of my working life at different sure. varying levels and and you know I've worked together. Yes. Um I want to go um where do I want to take this? You know, here's the thing, Al. Let, let me go back to something that you said, and I know this is your work, and you used both the phrase calling and purpose. Yes. And I know that that is kind of one of the core things. If there's an anchor that you're working with your clients, this is my belief, I, I think I'm correct in it, is that you you really get people to talk about, it doesn't matter if the guy's worth whatever he's worth, he's created whatever net worth, or he's created whatever success he has in business, if he's reached out to you looking for more, the question that you always will get to in however you phrase it is basically, do you know what your calling is, what your purpose is? And that's that's a pretty consistent with you. Do you find that time and time again, with even the most successful individuals that you have worked with, that that question stumps people? Yes. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I think your 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 mind reading class is is really paying off. I mean, I, I got a new client today who is one of the most uh, successful real estate property managers in the city where I live. Uh, his name is well known, and on the introductory call, I said, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about and he's very successful. I mean, he makes more in two minutes than I'll make in two years. He's that type of guy. And he was about to fly off to Denver to be on a real estate panel tomorrow of his experts in real estate. And I said, well, one of the things we're going to work on is your purpose, the purpose of your life. He says, oh, I know that. I said, great. That'll save us some time. What is it? He says, you know, to be a billionaire. I said, well, excuse me, but that's not your purpose. That's a goal. You know, money is money. You use it to buy things. You use it to support other people. You use it to allow you to have the lifestyle you want. But that's not the purpose of your life. So we're going to look at the purpose. And he looks at me. I do the coaching through Skype or FaceTime. He looks at me. He says. I have no idea what the purpose of my life is. I said, that's perfect. That's where we start. So the answer to your question, that was a long answer to a very simple question. Most people have no idea because they haven't taken the time to look what's the purpose of their life. What they do know is where they want to get to. What they do know is what they have to do. What they do know is how they want to feel. But what's the purpose? Now, that's not a question 
that's not an everyday question. Yeah. So do you think that, you know, going back to that people know how they want to feel? Yeah. Do you find in your coaching this many years later? And and the reason I, I think this is an important topic is because as many people that are listening to this podcast, uh, you know, we can talk about those that have achieved the everyday millionaire status and those sure. who are trying to achieve the everyday millionaire status. But consistently, time and time again, money aside, there is a place where we're looking for something. We're searching for what we want to feel in our life. And yes. given the work that you've done with the people you've done it with, I would suspect that you've discovered that all of a sudden you're, you know, you may be, you know, you're sitting in bed or you're, you're rolling up in your Ferrari or you're doing whatever they're doing and they realize that none of this is really lighting them up. It's not fulfilling. They're not actually having the feeling that they want to have. Yes. And, and it's the discovery that money's really cool and it's a great life to have when you have that kind of money, but it's certainly not the answer. Yeah. Is there a place that you find consistently where people realize that? Is there, or do you, what, what's your experience with that? You know, you've been doing it a long time. It's unfortunate, Patrick, that I have a Hindu friend. Uh, he was a monk. He's, he passed away a number, about three years ago. And he said, there's a Hindu saying, uh, it's a shame that people have to die before they wake up. Now, Mind you, I have no idea what happens when I'm dead. I'm I'm curious, but I'm patient for, for all I know. <laughs> That's, I'm so for, glad you're patient, pal. <laughs> for, for, for all I know, nothing happens. Sure. But but there's there are enough people that we've seen, maybe that we know personally, who have died unfulfilled. So unfortunately, there's nothing about what you accumulate or what status you get that will necessarily leave you with that sense of fulfillment and that I accomplished what I'm here, what I was here for. Now, mind you, uh, and this is for everybody who's listening, when, when I work with people to discover their purpose or their mission or their calling or the intention for their life, I say to them this sentence in the beginning, what we're about to engage in is a conversation, and there are two verbs you could apply. One verb is you could say you're creating your purpose, because you're really creating it out of nothing, because we're born tabla rosa, blank canvas, and it's our life to create. Or some people think they're actually discovering their purpose. Like there's a purpose that's there. It's been hidden from our view and it's our job to discover it. I tell people and I'll tell you and the people listening, I have no idea. I'm not that sort of uh, philosopher that has the answer to that question, whether you discover a purpose or whether you create it. But what I do know from on personal experience with my life and from on the court experience with hundreds of people, is it matters not whether you discover it or create it. What matters is that you have a purpose and that you're living consistent with it. And the way I use the word purpose in my work with people, it's always about the impact you're going to have on other people's lives. It's never about 
what you're going to get from it. I uh, love that quick kind of description of calling. And what I've discovered as well in my life is that it's always about the contribution you're being to others. It's all the fulfillment I I have in my life is always about the contribution I can be to the others, the difference I can make in other people's lives. I mean, we're blessed in, in rain and the real estate investment network in that we are constantly having an impact on other people's lives through our education and through our support of what they're trying to achieve in their financial success. But that ultimately trickles down into what their life is about. And it always is deeper than just buying real estate and making money. And yes, and purpose and calling are one of those things that, so when you go back to purpose and calling, so let me just take it back a little bit. Sure. What is, what is the common, is there a common, I don't know if the word is denominator, if there's, is there a common block that you have with people that when you say, what's your purpose or what is your calling? Do you get that kind of dead silence on the other end of the line or people looking at you going, I have no idea what you're talking about? What is the, what is there, is there some? Yeah, I would get that if I just started the conversation with what's your purpose, what's your calling, I'm sure I would get a blank stare. But rather than do that and to save them time, I have a little preamble. And I don't know if you'd like me to give the preamble. It's, it's short, but uh, I can do that. And once you give the preamble, for many people, you just say, so what's your calling? And the answer is right there. For others, it takes a dialogue going back and forth, but it is rare. When I say rare, I mean like one in 20, maybe even one in 30, where I'll have a conversation and in the course of an hour, Every single person except that one in 20 or 30 will, by the end of the call, have landed on their purpose or their calling. And with that one in 30 who didn't, by the end of the second session, they will have. Okay. My purpose in this podcast is always to be a contribution to my listeners. I I would love to see and hear or not see, but hear your preamble. And if that sparks some minds that are listening to this in discovering their purpose or taking them on a path of understanding purpose yeah. and calling, that would be like a home run for me. That's great. And, and Patrick, I just want to thank you. Um, you know, I know the sort of, uh, I know the person that you are, and I appreciate that, but I want to thank you for having me on this podcast because that we've now come to this place where I'm going to give the preamble and a bunch of people who I may never meet will have the opportunity to discover their calling, their purpose is a real fulfillment for me and it makes me cry. So Mm. thank you for that. And here's what it is. You know, I'm holding an iPhone in my hand right now. I know you all can't see me, but I'm holding an iPhone. And if I look at that iPhone, I know that there was an intention that was fulfilled by the making of that iPhone. I'm looking out the window at my car, it's a Prius, and I know the folks who made that Prius, there was an intention they were out to fulfill. You know, one of the ways that I might think about it is 
the folks who made the Prius, the intention was to create a reliable car that'll appeal to people who don't want to spend a lot of money and who are conscious about the environment and will be low on repairs. Then I, you know, I have a friend who's drives a beautiful BMW. And the intention behind that one was to create the ultimate driving experience. So depending on the intention, the product looks different, acts different, costs a different amount. So what that leads me to believe is that everything that's created has an intention that it's fulfilling. Everything. Even if the intention is to make more money at this with this product than the competition. That's the intention. So if you want to live a created life, one that's really nurturing and fulfilling, you better have an intention for your life. You better make one up. Another way of pointing at what the intention of your life is, is imagine that we were all invited to a party. And the party's taking place right now. And the location is planet Earth. You and I were invited because of what we're going to bring to the party. Not what we're going to get from the party, but what we're going to bring to the party. So there's 7.2 billion people at the party. And the reason I was invited is so that all hearts are full and all beings are enlightened. That's my calling. That's my purpose. Patrick, why were you invited? All people are living in love. All people are living in love. So for those of you who are listening, the question, what is my calling, is what's the outcome that you are want to produce in other people's lives by virtue of your actions? What's the outcome? What's the result? Not how are you going to do it, not why you are going to do it, but what's the outcome you want to produce? Another one last thing, another way to look at it is, you know, when people around you experience what, what quality are you the most lit up? Are you moved by? So that's the preamble. And then I say, okay, so what's your calling? And then we just dialogue from there. Now, finding your calling is only the beginning of the game. Yes. That's like, that gets you into the game called living a life that's a fulfillment of your calling, of your purpose. But then the real work begins, which is how do you operate consistent with that 24-7? And that's a never-ending game. That's a game that I'll be playing until that last conversation that I have with the nurse <laughs> about how she's doing before I flatline. <laughs> That's to, to live consistent with that when you're threatened, when you're challenged, when you're failing, when nobody's appreciating you, or even the other side, when you're really successful and you just want to hang it up and say, I've done it enough, to keep living consistent with that calling, with that purpose, so that your life continues to be a contribution to others. That's the real uh, challenge in for me in being alive. Is it the challenge? Okay, so this conversation, of course, is always gets me going. 
And (laughs) I love these conversations. They're kind of deep and profound. And sometimes, you know, for many of the listeners, it'll be, what are these guys speaking another language? What's going on? And for others, it'll be going, okay, give me more. But at the end of the day, it is a little bit about who you're being. And then when we get into what you said just earlier is the calling is just the beginning. Understanding and having that purpose is like, I've discovered something about what lights me up. I have discovered something about why I'm on this planet. I've discovered what I can have an impact on others by being true to myself, just living what I'm meant to, why I'm here and, and being yes. that. So, and then, of course, the question of is who am I being as I'm doing that? And that, of course, takes more work, more I don't want to say more work. Yeah, it is work. It is effort. It is actually uh, a focus. It, I, I, you know, I, I know as a leader myself in the businesses that I own and the people that I'm surrounded with and the people that I want to have an impact on, I'm constantly reflecting on who I'm being and am I being true to my calling? Am I being true to who I say I am and who I believe I am? And it is an evolution. It is a development. There isn't a magic answer and there isn't a switch that we flip. No question about that. So because you and I have had conversation and because I heard the word and I want to talk about it is you've used this phrase before, and that is, what is your operating system? Mm, Yes. And because we've, you know, we talked about calling, because we've talked about purpose and we've talked about that's just the beginning. And we've talked about who, a little bit about who we're being and how we're being, I want to shine a light on it. It's interesting is that I don't do a lot of coaching, but I, I occasionally come across people that I'm so fired up about how they show up that I will in fact coach them. And I don't have the patience that you do around coaching individuals because, and I know that you're, I know how you are because I've worked with you and ultimately you don't want to work with people that they say they want to be coached, but they don't want to do the work both you and I as coaches have been frustrated in that world before. I think you have more patience around that. That's just my kind of observation. You know, one of the things that I, with this particular individual, I asked him, I, you know, I said, are you really aware of who you're being? You know, who are you being in the context of your life? And do you realize that's a choice? And so I don't know what that has to do with operating system. It's just that there's the operating system that we have. And I want to, I want you to talk about operating system a little bit. And then the choices that we have, because we're really, when we make it, we're making a choice to be the way we're being. You know, there's no such thing as, oh, well, it's just the way I am. Uh, yeah. I, I, at least I, that's my belief. I don't know where you are on that subject, but we actually get to choose who we are in this world and how we're being and how we show up and the kind of person that we are. But yes. You, so tell me how that relates to operating system. That's a <laughs> big, long-winded yeah. No, it's very question. good. You know, Patrick, you're pointing at all the the challenges that are there, if, if you know, the, the calling becomes true north, it becomes what you true yourself up to when a, a new situation arises or an old situation arises. And as, as you and I know with directions, if you're going north, there's no end to it. You just keep going north and uh, you keep going north and you never hit it. So that's the way it is with a calling. It's not a goal. It's a direction. It's that you true yourself up against where what I advise people is once you come up with your calling for the first 30 days, 
at the end of every day, before you go to bed, look back at all the interactions with people and look to see what percentage of the time do you operate consistent with your calling and what percentage of the time didn't you? And usually it's like 2% in the beginning or 5% at the most because there's a way we're already designed. And I call that, I mean, some people call it their ego. Some people call it their shadow. I call it your operating system. It's the way we operate. You know, it comes, some of it comes from family of origin. Who knows? Some of it might be genetic. Some of it might be, you know, the school of hard knocks. But our brain is an amazing, amazing thing. Our brains have one purpose to keep us alive. And our brains have evolved so that we survive. And we survive in all sorts of challenging situations because of the way our brain has survived. So our brain has no interest in whether we're happy or sad, whether we're fulfilled or unfulfilled. Our brain, its job is to keep us surviving. Now, what does it keep surviving? It keeps the way we've been and our body. So whoever you, if you think you're your ego, then your brain will keep your ego around and surviving. If you think you're your car, I mean, there are people who really identify with their car. And if you scratch their car, they will shoot you because they've identified with their car. So your brain keeps alive whoever you identify yourself as. And I call that your operating system. So the challenge in life, once you have a calling, is to distinguish the way you're currently designed, the way you wound up, and then start to create new ways of being and acting that are consistent with your calling. And that creates new brain patterns. And then through repetition over time, those brain patterns never quite become as strong as the old ones. but then you have a choice. And although theoretically, I agree with you that we all have choices in the moment when you're on automatic and you're just operating system is running the show. Very few people would say, well, I chose to get angry or I chose to fail. It just seems like it's out of their control. So Part of taking control of your destiny in your life is to distinguish the way you're designed, your operating system, and then start developing new practices that are consistent with your calling. I know that makes it sound real easy, but you and I know, Patrick, that's work. That's a lot of work. (laughs) I I, I call that work. I call it the work of of mastering what it is to be a human being. And it can be fun. I mean, work doesn't have to be hard, but it could be fun if you make a game out of it. Well, let's just talk about that a little bit, you know, sure. as because here's the thing, you know, I know that how you are, how I am, how the partners I have and the people I work with, they're driven to be leaders. They're, they're inspired to be leaders. They want to make a difference in the world. And so this kind of work 
for the people that I'm surrounded with is pretty normal. And it, and it is yes. fun and is exciting and it is challenging and it is frustrating because you come across those moments where you go, holy crap, I can't even believe that this showed up for me this many years into my life or, you exactly. know, it's like, <laughs> what the heck? And I look at those individuals and I, as you know, and as you are as well, I, I mean, I'm surrounded by some pretty successful and amazing people that we have these conversations with. And so when I look at the, the conversation and the intention of my podcast, this particular podcast around the everyday millionaire, my commitment was to having conversations with some, what seemingly pretty ordinary people that are really extraordinary. And you are so on my list of, oh my gosh, I've got to get Alan, because I didn't know, as I said to you when we fired up this call, I had no idea what direction we're going to go, other than I'm going to tap into, into some of your coaching prowess, and okay. uh, I wanted to take advantage of just who you are in, in, in the support of that. So I want to say thank you for that. I want to kind of go in a little different direction on all of this because all of the work you've done, I mean, 32 years of coaching and supporting the success of others, and you've had the success that you've had. And I know that you, like me and like the people you coach, you're always upping your game. You're always setting the bar a little bit higher. You're always trying to achieve more. You're always trying to have a greater impact on the people that you come in contact with. How do you define success? Oh, it's a great question. You know, I was going to, I was working with a colleague of mine, Patrick, and we were going to do a workshop, um, and it was called The Blueprint for Success. And we said, well, before we come up with that, design the workshop, we, we better define what the heck we mean by success. And it was interesting because you know, there's images that you have as soon as you say the word success. I mean, the images come to mind. For some people, it's a lot of money. You know, for some people, it's a lot of fame. You know, for some people, it's it's just getting along with their kids. The challenge when you use the word success is to make sure you're defining the term for you. I don't believe there's a universal answer to the question, what is success? What I believe is, given life's a game, and each one of us gets to play it for as long as we do, you and I get to define what it is that success is. And unfortunately, many people live in other people's expectations of what success means and haven't done the critical thinking to see, wait a second, is that my definition of success? Or is that what my father thought success was? Or my boss thought success was? So again, I I think there's no absolute answer to that. And I think it's important for each of us to say, this is what success looks like to me. So for me, if you ask me what's success, it's living consistent with my calling more and more reliably. Oh, I love that because I was just going to say that. I was going to recap, but I'm going to go, well, if I was going to define success, Alan, I was to define it as if I'm living my calling, 
then I'm right on point. Yeah. Now, when I go into an endeavor with a, a client or with a, and if the client's a business, we're going to define outcomes. And, you know, you could say if we realize the outcomes that we created, that's a successful engagement. And if we didn't, well, I don't know if it was unsuccessful, but we could definitely say we failed to realize those outcomes. And then given who I am, I would say, good, well, what did we get out of it? Maybe we didn't get the success we planned for, but what was there of value in this journey together? Because I do believe, you know, there's getting value and learning and, you know, you can do that from your failures. Sometimes it's even easier to learn from your failures than it is to learn from your successes. I was working with a client earlier today who, you know, he thought he was going to get fired. He's not getting fired. He thought he was going to have to fire someone who was a problem on the team. And they worked, everything worked out perfectly. I mean, he sounds relaxed. And I said, well, what, what did you do that had those things happen? You know, that was a hard question for him to answer. I think it's so much easier for us to answer, what did we do when we screw things up? Oh, I didn't do this. But when we're successful, we don't take the time to stop and say to ourselves, what are the actions that brought that success about? Because those are the ones I want to repeat. So I think it's always good when you're playing a game, you know, you were, you know, oh, no, maybe you weren't. You, you, you certainly played hockey, but uh, I, I don't think you played professionally, right? Is that correct? No, 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 Alan. I, I, yeah. I barely know how to skate, pal. Okay. <laughs> Okay, but y- your wife knows how to skate, and she coaches. And, <laughs> That's right. and she coaches. So at, at 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 the end of a game, it's always good to do a post mortem. What did we do that worked? Good. We want to repeat those. What did we do that didn't work? Good. We want to reduce those for the successes as well as the failures. It's interesting that uh, you went that direction. That's perfect, by the way. My question for you. What's the biggest failure that you've had that turned out to be a true blessing in disguise? Well, you know, um, I've had so many. <laughs> it's like the, what was I moved by? What's the biggest failure? <laughs> I, when I worked at Landmark, I, I had the title. Uh, it's called Forum Leader. And that's not just a job description. Of, that was somebody who led the forum. I was part of a a select group. There were 53 of us. And when you're designated a forum leader, that's a designation that um, you think is going to be forever. And after being at Landmark for 31 years, I was de-designated. I was told that I was no longer a forum leader. I didn't agree with the action. Obviously, I thought it was a mistake, but I also thought it was unfair. And for me, that was a really large failure, Patrick, because I had really foregone many things in life to give myself to this organization. And after 31 years, I was told, you're no longer a forum leader. So that that was a pretty big failure. And like I said, for two days, it was like, oh, crap. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? But it was really, it was two days max 
I do know I have a choice. I'm not going to live like some tragedy just happened. I'm going to say, okay, good. I'm no longer a foreign leader. What's next? And I really left Landmark with zero resentment, complete appreciation. And as a matter of fact, after about seven months, eight months of being gone, I wrote a letter to the senior management. I said, you know, I disagreed with you. I argued with you. I thought you made a mistake by de-designating me. But all I can tell you is thank you. You saw something I wasn't able to see, which is Landmark Forum Leader and Alan Kahn are no longer a good fit. And I want you to know you set me free. (laughs) And here's the difference I'm now able to make. And thank you. So I really do believe that everything that comes our way, we can turn it into a lesson and an opportunity for growth. And that's the first one that came to mind. If we want to talk for a few more hours, I I can go through many other major failures. <laughs> Alan, I could always talk to you for a few more hours. Let me just take a little bit on that. So because you've worked with others and, yes. and when I look at that, you know, what you that moment in time with Landmark in this case, 31 yep. years later, you know, so let me kind of go off on a bit of a tangent and I'm sure. going to circle back. So, you know, Stephanie and I have worked with, you know, as you know, and particularly Stephanie, we've worked with world-class athletes and and medal winners at Olympics and in national and world championships. And what we've discovered is that often athletes wake up the next day after winning a medal and it's like, now what? Yes. It's what's next. We, we actually coined the phrase, the other side of the medal, because we've seen mm. that time and time again over the past 25 years that it really is. It's like you you work for this moment in time and then you wake up and it's like, now what? Who am I if I'm not that? Who am I if I'm not that competitor? Who am I if I'm not that competitor that, you know, is scoring goals or scoring points or whatever that conversation is? So when you look at what you've achieved, so I'm, I'm kind of winding back to you and there's some identity that you obviously had and we all have it. And the reason I ask this question is because I, it'll be a bit about you, but I know you've worked with so many people. So who are you if you're not that? So when you wake up and all of a sudden it's like landmarks going, you're not that. There's two questions here. One is, what was your kind of realization when you, you know, a couple of days later you wake up and you go, if I'm not a forum leader, who am I? Was, yes. that, a, was that kind of a question for you? That was exactly the question. Do you see that in others that you coach? Do you come across that? Again, it, it relates back to the calling. Mm. You know, if, if you're identified with your role, if you're identified with your status, you know, your role can be taken away from you. Your status can be shattered. Your possessions can disappear. Your successes can become failures. You know, it's the fundamental question that's been asked for throughout time is, is who am I? So your identity, your identity at the time in that place in your life was around forum leader. And it was, what's the other side of the medal? What is that? If I'm not that, who am I? And, And that's where I came up with that notion of, it was the precursor to calling. I said, let me create a theme for my life. And the theme for my life became at that point, all people living lives of possibility and all conflicts 
resolved through communication. So that then became who I am. But if we really want to go deep on this one, Patrick, and uh, maybe lose some people, maybe confuse some people, maybe inspire some people, the ultimate answer to the question, who am I, is whoever I say I am. That's the ultimate. You and I get to say who we are and what our lives are for. We get to answer that question. And if we identify with what we're doing, that really is a misidentification of who we are. Again, the Hindus, they, they say this whole world, this is all a big play. They call it Maya. It's all an illusion. There's many roles that we get to play. But those are only roles. The question is, who is the person playing those roles? And we get to answer that. No one gets to tell us. We get to answer that and then either live consistent with it or not. Do you believe, I can have this conversation with you because you are a coach. You've literally coached thousands of people and you've done it in group settings and you've done it one-on-one and you've done all of the things that you've done in the world of coaching. Once again, I'm going to go back to the intention of this podcast is to support others in having a great life in understanding what it is to be an everyday millionaire and the journey that we take to get there and having a fulfilled life as we make money and have a great life based on the money. Do you see time and time again where people get stuck in the fear of, maybe staying in a job, maybe owning a business, maybe staying in a business, maybe doing the life that they're doing without the sense of fulfillment, not knowing where to go. But if I was to say your fear, whether you are conscious of it or not, it's often I probably underlying, maybe a little subconscious, is the fear of who am I if I'm not that? So if I'm not this today, who would I be tomorrow if I wasn't that? Is that, maybe that's a really profound or deep question, or maybe I'm worried it's funny. It's very profound. You know, I think I misspoke earlier. So let me correct what I said. I think the ultimate answer to the question, who am I, is nothing. No thing. No thing. You know, no thingness. Who you and I are is this clearing, this emptiness, this field And then we get to say, what's next? It's a powerful, powerful question to be engaged in, is if I'm not my career, if I'm not my possessions, if if I'm not a father, it's something, I mean, I have children, but if that's not the end of who I am, then who am I? And I, I think that question is such a great question to stay engaged in forever and to keep noticing when you have an answer and if you get attached to the answer. You know, you you and I know about athletes who got attached to their success and when they were no longer athletes anymore, they no longer could compete, they were crushed because they hadn't really answered for themselves, who am I? And they became identified with their success or with their role. Okay. We could go on. I, I'm I'm reluctant to go deeper in this, and I want to come back to you. I mean, for me, this is a fascinating conversation, and I could go into what you just talked about in a much deeper way. But I want to come back to a little bit about 
you and in your journey. And because the wisdom that you've gathered and that you've gained is through study. It is through the years on this planet. It is from reflection. It is from really paying attention to how you're showing up and who you're being and all of those things. Yes. And consistently what I see, and, and if I reflect on my own life, but when I look at others and the people that I speak with, there seems to be a fork in the road for people where they have to stop and actually they're choosing a fork in the road. Those are the, a time in your life where it's sleepless and it's like, oh my gosh, what am I doing and what am I going to do? And maybe the world feels like it's caving in. I don't know. Did you ever have that fork in the road moment that you could identify or was it that way for you? Let me see. I certainly, you know, in in the Christian tradition, they call it the dark night of the soul. Mm, Yes. And, you know, if you haven't had one of those yet, stick around because it'll be coming to a, a theater near you soon. But where we really are forced to look is what I'm doing making any difference? Am I doing, quote, the right thing with my life? What's it all about anyway? I've had several of those, Patrick, and this is going to sound weird, but I, I welcome them because it's an opportunity to go deeper into my own practice and to go deeper into my own commitment and see how real it really is at that moment in time. So, yeah, I mean, I was leading forums and producing these results. And, you know, at a certain point, I wake up and go, maybe this is all a pile of crap. (laughs) But really, I mean, your brain will question and doubt everything. You know, there's again, there's the role in, in, in the New Testament of the doubting Thomas. I believe all those characters, whether they existed as real or not, whether they're characters or not, they they are part of our psyche, part of what it is to be a human being. And, you know, we doubt ourselves at times and we question ourselves and resolving those doubts, resolving those questions or finding a way to live with them so they don't torment us is part of the journey. And I think it's part of the reason, going back to it, why people sometimes get a coach or a consultant is because they want somebody who's walked that path already to to shine a light for them so they don't wallow too long in, in the darkness. Let me ask you about relationship. Consistently, I find that the individuals that I've come to know that I would say are successful, and I'm not just talking about the financial success that people have because consistently that comes with this, is about their relationship with a significant other. In in yes. your case, your wife. Now, you've been married yes. for, you just celebrated an anniversary, as I recall. Yep, just, thir- just completed our 38th year. Now we're in year 39. 38 years. And yep. along that way, if you kind of stop for a moment, slow down, and think about what the relationship that you have with your wife. Yes. How big a part has that been and how important is that relationship to your success, to the fulfillment you have in your life? And what what are some of the things that, you know, for listeners that are in relationship 
what would you give them for some guidance? I mean, 38 years is a long time to be hanging out with you. And yep. so I have some compassion. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you, you should. <laughs> uh, sometimes I think That's I'm funnier than I probably am. Anyways, no, no, that was funny. <laughs> so, so share with me a little bit about your take on relationship and, and how important it is with people and their success and the fulfillment of their lives and the success in their businesses. And what, how do you look at that? Yeah. Well, I certainly don't look at it like it's a, a have to or a necessity. So I know people who, again, when you use the word relationship, I'm assuming you mean a partnership type relationship because the truth be told, we all have relationships, but you're, you're talking about that primary one where that you come home to that's right. <laughs> or, they come, or they come home to you. So I believe that's a choice. I've met people who are completely fulfilled and successful and they've chosen not to have a relationship. Period. Okay, so and, let, and yeah, but okay, but let me interrupt there just for a second. Sure. And so, do, do do you know anybody that has really had a level of success as we would define success? I mean, define it in the way of living your calling and living a fulfilled life. If you're in relationship, and I and I'm saying you're married or you're common yep. law or whatever that is, there's a commitment there. Sure. Yep. And consistently, I when I talk to men or women that have yes. a degree of success and have a great life, it's yes. always, they always say, I owe it a lot of what my success is to my partner. And, yes. and so there is a consistent message that there is a commitment there. So in other words, you can't have multiple commitments in relationship in those kinds of personal relationships. And I'm talking about significant others. So you can't be married and, and be having mistresses and still have a real level of success, maybe in another culture. I don't know. And I don't know even know where I'm going with the question. I, I guess what I'm, I'm, I'm counting on or, or looking for you is because I know that, you know, you coach people on a global, in a global yes. world. And, and, yep. and so you've had lots of cultural exposure and it's just shining a light on how important from your experience is having that monogamous relationship. How about if I put it that way? Oh, okay, good. Perfect. Again, I, I like what you said when you added cultural. So I have lots of stories to tell from how, you know, I led landmark forums in France where people do have mistresses and it's not frowned upon, at least in some circles, it's not frowned upon. It's, as a matter of fact, uh, it's an exalted status to some because being a mistress, you get all the benefits and and you don't have to take care of the kids. So there's different cultures. And as you know, there are cultures that allow for more, more than one partner at the same time. And there's people now in North America who are, they call themselves, I think, polyamorous. So I don't want to get boxed into something, but I do think that if you are going to have a relationship, it's an investment. And it's an investment of yourself. And you better be clear with your partner on what are the agreements. Mm. So what are we committing to? So when I work with couples, because I do some couple counseling, and I'll say, and they're having problems, 
I'll say to people, well, what are your marriage vows? What did you promise? And to a person, no one remembers their marriage vows. And I think that's a shame. You know, when when my wife and I got married, we actually got married twice. We got married once 38 years ago, and then we remarried. When we got married, right to the point of your question, we said what we were looking for in a partner was someone who would help us make the difference we wanted to make in the world. It would be a place that we'd return to, to get our batteries charged and then go out again and be a leader. And about halfway through our marriage, when we were both leaders in different fields, we actually no longer needed the other person in order to keep being a leader because we had other structures of support. And it's interesting, Patrick, as soon as we realized that, we looked at the marriage and it had become stale because we had fulfilled on that commitment that we made, which was to support each other in being leaders. And at that moment, we had a choice, end the marriage, because it was no longer nurturing and fulfilling and it was a role uh, and an obligation, or create the marriage newly. And so we decided to get remarried and we made up three new three new vows. So one vow we made up was we promised to love each other always. The second vow is we promised each of us to be 100% responsible for the quality of our relationship. It's not 50-50. It's 100% on me. And for Catherine, it's 100% on her. And then the third promise we added when we got remarried was just to keep it spicy and interesting. We said we promise to be empowered by however the other person is being. So we no longer could have an argument and say, you're not empowering me because our job was to be empowered by however our partner was being. And you know, I'll tell you, I printed those up. I carried them around with me so I wouldn't forget them. We had them printed nicely and framed above our bed so that we're always reminded of the foundation of our marriage, which are the commitments that we made to each other. And, you know, a relationship is a commitment. And just like if you're going to commit to anything, you better be clear what you're committing to, be clear what you're will do and won't do, and make sure your partner is the same, and then live true to it. So I agree, if your commitment is to monogamy, the relationship ain't going to work if you don't honor it. It's going to be a, a hole in your boat. And I do agree that if you're out, if you're working hard and your marriage is not a haven, it's not a support, it's not a place where you're you get to be nurtured and to nurture, it makes it much harder to be successful. Much okay. harder. Okay. So, you know, you've, I'm already living into future podcasts with you about marriage I'd and love relationships. It. I'd love to come back. We didn't even, we didn't even get to talk about millionaires yet. <laughs> I know. We're just, we barely even scratched the surface, my friend. Okay. As I start to wind down, you know, what I like to do with my guests is, dig a little deeper into some things. And and so there's a couple of questions that I like to ask. So first one is, what would you like 
you know, if, you know, as we sit here, you sit here at 67 years old, what would you like to have told your 20 year old self? Hmm. What I would have liked to have told my 20 year old self is don't be in such a hurry. That's number one. Number two is an old Jewish saying, which is the uh, reason God gave us two ears and one mouth is because we should listen twice as much as we talk. So I wish I knew that when I was 20. And um, I think number three is take the time to discover how wonderful the people around you are, Mm. rather than have them find out how wonderful I am. (laughs) Great. Now you're a wise man, so I'm going to throw you a slight curveball. Uh, I'm and... ready. I'm, I'm I'm ready. I got I, I got my bat, and it's uh, I got I'm ready. You're gonna Throw hit it. it. You're gonna hit it out of the park. I know. Uh, at least so, at least a double. So your 67 year old self, you're sitting here today. Yeah. What would yeah. you tell your 77 or 87 year old self? What would you want to tell your 87 year old self? Hmm. It's hard because I think my 87-year-old self is going to be wiser than my 67-year-old self. I just would like to be grateful. It's more like I'd like to tell them how grateful I am that um, I got to be 77 or 87 and got to experience life and just thank them for the way they lived their life that allowed me to still be alive at 77 and 87. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's more gratitude. You're um, you're quick to laugh. You know that's one of the things that I I love many things about you, and one of the things I love a lot about you is your laughter. You like to laugh, and it's something I observe about you. And mm. have you always been that? Have you always been a guy that just kind of kicks back and laughs and and lightens up? And I know you take life seriously, but you don't take life seriously. It's an interesting dynamic that I see in you. And it's something that I kind of admire. I'm not a big laugher. I love to laugh, but you laugh. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when I lived in the the Zen monastery at, at 22, you know, there's a Zen tradition where the Zen monks would have these big, deep belly laughs. But in all honesty, Patrick, in the beginning, my laughter was oftentimes a, a defense. Um, I spent a lot of time uh, feeling isolated from people and not being able to connect well with people. And I had to learn how to amuse myself because I I wasn't very good at a younger age at people skills. I was mostly arrogant and um, just defensive and trying to prove something. So Laughter was a a way that I could amuse myself. And sometimes it was a way to deflect the hurtful things I was hearing. And it was an automatic laughter. And for years, I actually worked at having my laughter be genuine. So be part of my operating system was that defensive laugh. And I think it's developed over the years as I've grown and developed to really be a laughter that's just a deep gratitude, a deep appreciation and a deep sense of, you know, life's too short 
not to enjoy it. So, you know, what the heck am I waiting for? I think there still may be times when my laughter is is inappropriate and it's automatic and it's something that I always need to keep kind of a, a watchful light on because I'm out to be responsible for all those automatic parts of my operating system so that I'm living life as a creation rather than a reaction. For me, your laughter always shows up as very genuine. So I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to hear it, Alan. That's great. Thank you for that. I appreciate, I appreciate the feedback because you know, the hardest person to see in any room is yourself, right? (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Uh, oh, we haven't even talked about blind spots. Okay, so we can't go there. Um, <laughs> okay, so some rapid fire questions just to uh, kind of finish the cast. What's your favorite swear word? Oh, my favorite swear word. Golly. You know, I took on a practice, Patrick, of trying to not to swear. Good luck but, with uh, that. Exactly. Um I think it's the F word. It captures so much. I know it says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> if uh, what profession other than what you're doing, uh, what would you do? What would you like to attempt if it wasn't what you're doing right now? You know, um, I have a real fascination with mountain climbing. And, and I'd love to be someone who, you know, takes people up high mountains and supports them in getting to the top. Interesting. Well, you're doing that in a different kind of way. Exactly. Exactly. I think I'd be even physically healthier if I did it in the other in in the real way. Yeah. <laughs> if heaven does exist, and yes. we won't debate whether it does or not, what would you like Good. to hear? What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? Let's see. Thank you, and um, you did a good job. I'm happy with the work that you did. Maybe even I'm. Um, I'm proud of you, Alan. I, I threw some curveballs your way and didn't deal you the easiest hand, and I appreciate the way you played it. On a scale of 1 to 10, how weird are you? Oh, I'm at least 9. <laughs> I concur. <laughs> what are you not very good if at? You ask, if you ask my wife, <laughs> She'll probably tell you 10. Yeah. And she knows me better. (laughs) What are you not very good at? I'm not very good at keeping my desk organized. And I'm not very good at self-discipline. Okay, great. Because that's an interesting, because it leads into my next question. Room, desk, or car? Which do you clean first? Sounds like not your desk. Yeah. I think the car. I mean, I even, I have the... uh, the tickets for the car wash, you know, so I buy them a whole bunch in advance. I think it's car. Okay. This is going to, uh, this could be another curveball for you. I'm ready. Okay. Tell me something that's true for you that almost nobody agrees with you on. Hmm. Well, I think it's that thing that we talked about earlier that life is really empty and meaningless and it's all a game. It's all a game. Yeah. Okay. Well, I kind of agree with you on that one. But you said almost. You're, you're. How come I'm on the podcast? This was you and I agree about that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you have a favorite tune? A favorite tune. There's one I've been listening to a lot lately, and it's by a, a woman named Adanya River, and it's called "Love Break My Heart Open." Favorite movie? 
The one I just saw, it's always the most recent one that I saw, Arrival. Oh, that was a good movie. What are you most grateful for? My family. No surprise. Alan Kahn, thank you so much for your time, your insights, mm. your energy. Mm. I appreciate the conversation. Mm. Love you mm. immensely. Always, always enjoy speaking with you, and I get a lot out of it. And I hope today that our listeners enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Yeah, they enjoyed it as much as you and I did, Patrick. You know, you hit it out of the park. <laughs> Home run. Because <laughs> we certainly had a good time. And and really, I, I Patrick, you know, I, uh, time is, you know, one of those things where if you waste it, you don't get any more. And I, I really hope that this wasn't a waste of time for any of the people who are listening. And I really appreciated the thoughtfulness, the, the depth of your questions, the, the spontaneity of your questions. And I like where the conversation took us. And, and my, my measure for that is you know, I feel more enlivened now at 8.45 than uh, when I did when we started the call at 7 o'clock. So thank you very much for you know, just the way you listen and the way you speak. Thank you, my friend. This has been a great conversation. I look forward to the next one. All right, me too. Thanks, pal. Ciao. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.